Hi, Tom Bergeron here. You know what you're doing? You know, you know what you're doing? You are listening to The Road Taken. You knew that. So, Justin, social media, something about Facebook has allowed me to not only have fun and, and go back and forth and, you know, have cute little quips with people, but it's really established very strong, deep relationships. And one of my very first relationships on Facebook was with a guy named Rick Smolke from Addison, Illinois. And I don't know how we connected. All I know is he was seeing what I was doing with women who write at the very beginning. This is when I first started. This is going back eight years ago. And he immediately said, I want to help you. Rick Smolke is a commercial printer. He also does personal printing, you know, from business cards to CD to packaging to signs, calendars. He does all of that stuff. But then I hired him. He did the galleys for my book. He did my bookmarks. He did my signature plates. There, He is my go-to guy. And what I will say about quick impressions is what sets them apart from every other printer is the customer service. They are just the most amazing people. They have graphic artists on there that'll help you design your card. Their prices will match any wholesaler on the internet. They'll get it shipped to you. Their prices are the best. The relationship you will have with them is the best. So what I'm going to suggest is if you have anything you need done, whether it's for your, they do, they do professional football teams. They do huge corporations, the printing, they do huge jobs, but they, no job is too small because they're really people. They're people people. They're What's that expression? They're people persons. And so if you have anything you need done, please call Quick Impressions. They're right outside of Chicago, Quick Impressions. And please ask for Rick Smolke and tell him that Vicky sent you. And I promise he's going to take, they are going to take such good care of you and match any price you'll get anywhere. Quick Impressions, Rick Smokey. And you can find them at quickimpressions.com. And that's quick, Q-U-I-K, no C, quickimpressions.com. Save the C for the Rick and ask for Rick. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicky. Hey, Justin, how are you tonight? Good. How are you doing, Vicky? You know, I'm I'm a little I'm a little frazzled. Um, I use the ways, and I normally come here the same way every week, and it's longer mileage-wise, and probably costs me more gas. But I don't sit in traffic ever, right? Because the and did you use one of the celebrity voices on there? <laughs> and you know, I did. I tried to use the Brit. I used uh, what is that 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 boy band called? And they and it, it's they do like a that boy band that Simon Cowell. Um, who are those guys? Uh, not like One Direction. or Yeah, something? Okay. yeah, those guys. So there's a there's a One Direction thing on the ways, and I put okay. that on for a while. But they keep singing it the same every turn right, you know. And it's like after like the third one, I want to smack them. So I had to I had to change that. But ways normally tells me the same way to come every single week and I take that way and and I never have traffic and today it said no go this other way on the 101 if you're not from LA that doesn't mean anything to you but it's a nightmare from fucking hell (laughs) and so I listened why so I start to go towards the 101 and as soon as I get on that route it's no go back to the to the 118 wait a minute 
And anyway, so it took me an extra half hour to get here, which is stressful. It's yeah. stressful. I was sitting there. I, I literally could have done the Fred Flintstone with the feet on the thing and gotten here faster. It was really <laughs> frustrating. But anyway, I'm very happy to be here because I, I'm excited. All right, so I'm I have a question. I'm glad you made it. Thank you. And thank you for being patient with me, as you always are, Justin. Of course. You need so much patience with me. So, so I have a question for you tonight leading into tonight's show. Are you? Yes. Would you consider yourself to be... Um, a flexible person or sort of a fixed person? Like, will you change your mind about things if, if, an, if something better comes? Or, or are you kind of, I do things a certain way and that's the way I do them? I'm flexible. That- I can, if someone wants to do something and I was planning on doing something that day, I can go do that. That's really excellent because not everybody is that way. There are a lot of people who are very fixed. And yeah. my tendency is to be sort of a fixed person. But I strive to be a flexible person. So um, I have this literary salon that you know about women who write. And when I started it, it was all, it was women, women who write. It was readings for women by women who write. And my husband, who I was living with at the time, was a writer and, and knew a lot of the people I was bringing into the house to, I do it in my home, to to present. And I wasn't even, I didn't let him stay. I didn't let any, there were no men. and um, And then... I was on the Facebook, and one of my Facebook friends, Tom Bergeron, because you can make friends like that on Facebook. It's an amazing yeah. thing which you can do on social media. Oh, yeah. And so Tom had a book coming out, which I'm showing Justin. I'm holding it up for the viewers at home to show Justin. <laughs> I'm hosting as fast as I can. And he made some sort of joke to me like, you know, I could wear a dress and da-da. <laughs> and, and we'd only been operating for like eight months at that. Not long. We were. It was a pretty new thing. This is eight years ago. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I made the rules. I can break them. And so our very first male guest at Women Who Write was Tom Bergeron. And it was fantastic. And while I was inviting Tom, I figured, well, I'll just have all men. So Evan Handler from Californication and and Sex in the City was also there that day. And Ron Zimmerman, a, a very funny comedian and writer. And we had such a great time. And because... Because of that change, it broke the door down to allow for Carl Reiner and Norman Lear and Gary Marshall and Mickey Dolenz. And, and it, what ended up happening is we've actually had more men present at Women Who Write than women <laughs> because men are just, they say yes. <laughs> women, you know, and, and I, hate, I hate to say this and sound anti-feminist and, and to sound sexist myself, but it's the truth is that as women, we are brought up to be competitive and to think that there's not enough and that if we take something, there's not going to be for the other person. And so we do this crazy thing with each other. And really what Women Who Write was created to do was to do the opposite of that and to celebrate women and for us to create a creative community, which we have. And so since then, it's turned into this wonderful thing. But I still struggle. There's a woman right now, I've been trying a book, and her three female publicists are blocking it. It's just, it's a pain in the neck. But meanwhile, Bob Castle says yes to me in two seconds. You know, <laughs> so it's like, what do I do? So anyway, um, so Tom broke the barrier. And... What I found since then is that he's somebody that always says yes. Um, when he came to my house, my kids weren't there that day. And they wanted to. They wanted to play hooky from school. All they wanted, and I have to tell you that I've had. I've, we've had some pretty amazing people at Women Who Write. 
the only one they wanted to meet was Tom Bergeron. <laughs> In fact, Harry wanted to come with me tonight, and I, he, he was getting off work a little too late, and I, I'm sorry that he's not here. But, but anyway, so Tom is somebody that just says yes. He said yes to women who write. Um, uh, I asked him that day when he came if he would shoot a little video for my kids, which he did, which like made their life worth living. Then when Harry was turning 21, he gave me a little video for that. Then he had us to Dancing with the Stars. Oh my God, that was unbelievable. And when I was, my book was coming out, he shot a video for me for that. You're on my book trailer. I don't even know if you know that. Um, Tom is an extraordinary person because people that say I'm yes. I'm still pretending I'm not here yet. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you haven't heard me. <laughs> Good. So you're yeah, going to yeah, allow me right. to cavell over you and <laughs> no, then, you can, <laughs> then you can jump in. So Tom is just one of those people who always says yes. And he's a pro. Um, and we're going to talk about what he did recently on television that um, most people would not, I, I don't know what they would have done. But, um, but Tom is somebody that we know, um, America's Funniest Home Video, uh, uh, 14 years? 15. 15, yeah, 15 years. Yeah. America's Funniest Home Videos. That's a lot um, of crotch hits. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and Dancing with the Stars for 11, 11 years? Yeah, we're in our, we just started our 12th, yeah. Uh, okay, so I'm getting all the numbers yeah, wrong, you, which, no, no, you know, is just... Ballpark. Just, just you know, you're better than my accountant. That's why Tom's here. Tom's uh, that's why Tom right, is here right. to correct that's the right. issue. I'm a career auditor. <laughs> but, you know, and also started on, on a morning, t- on a, a disc jockey. That's you right. were disc jockey and, and hosted... Uh, daytime TV and uh, hosting gigs and and all and Good Morning America. You yeah. were a person there and almost mm-hmm. had that thing. And um, Tom's used to sort of corralling people and and dealing with people. But the thing about you is, Tom is funnier than anything funny he has ever presented and what I love <laughs> is that I'm sure that they think the writers are writing you some stuff but yeah. I know I can tell right. when I'm watching when something is just coming out of you so Justin we, let's welcome yeah, Tom Bergeron sort of, I feel like I've been <laughs> yeah. introduced okay. so that's enough flattery for one interview <laughs> so, but, but that's very much the thing that you said about saying yes to things is very is, is the cornerstone of improvisation really yes it, it, is. it, it is saying yes and and that's the training I had both in radio and in improv theater. Okay, so I want to know that. So that's exactly what this show is all about. It's like, how did you come to do this? So what, what was your training? When, when, when did you get stars in your eyes? When did you say, okay, that's what I want to do? I always wanted to be, I had to, sort of two interesting paths as a kid. I loved radio. Television really wasn't on my screen at all. Really? I loved radio and I loved old uh, silent film comedy. Wow. What radio were you listening to? I was listening. I grew up in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. so I was listening to Boston radio, uh, WBZ, which was, uh, which still is a 50,000-watt uh, clear channel uh, station. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so I grew up listening to those DJs and, and ended up working at that station years later. But, fabulous. But for a time, I was hosting the morning show in my hometown on radio, mm-hmm. and in the evenings I was working with a mime company. Doing so, a friend, a friend of mine said, "It's so weird because when we hear you, we can't see you, and when we see you, we can't hear you." So I had the best of both worlds. I was doing radio, which I started doing in high school because a, a teacher of mine worked part time at the local radio station, and he got me an interview, and I got a part time job. Because you've got this great 
resonant radio yeah, voice, radio but voice but I'm sure. I'm guessing as a little kid you didn't have that. My voice changed fairly young, okay. so I didn't get away with a lot in in school because I had a lower voice than the teachers. Ah. And uh, <laughs> and but but it was great because at the age of seventeen I was I was working. Uh, and so what at seventeen? What was like? My father was a master of ceremonies in the Catskill Mountains. That's yeah, what he did. Yeah. He was, but he was a singer, right? Mm-hmm. So, but but that was his gateway to be a singer was that he would host the shows in the Catskills, and then he would get to sing a few songs. So, what was what was your what was your first dream? What was your first showbiz dream? My first showbiz dream was just to be on the radio. I mean, it was not any more concrete than that. The idea okay. of of being on, being one of those voices on the radio that could communicate, could connect. Gee, I don't know, Gene Shepard, you must know, mm-hmm. from A Christmas yeah, Story sure. and also uh-huh. at a WOR radio in New York. And Gene Shepard, I'll do my Gene Shepard impression. <laughs> because if you've seen A Christmas Story, you know he's got this, he had this amazing quality <laughs> where he could be talking about the most mundane things. <laughs> but because of the way he said it, you were convinced it was going to be fascinating. You know what I mean? So I, I loved that ability because I would listen to Gene Shepard at night like under the, the blankets when I was supposed to be in bed asleep. And I thought this is an amazing skill. Mm-hmm. And, and the intimacy of, of radio as a medium, even as a, as a kid, just appealed to me. And also the idea of a body in space like the old Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd comedies um was was a wonderful mm-hmm. uh alluring thing too so so those parallel paths were things i i was fascinated television no theater radio you yes did, you didn't watch tv as a kid i watched it but i, I never thought of myself doing it or had any aspiration to be on it and okay so did you study how to be a voice on the radio? Did you take any classes? What did no, you do? No, I, I kind of uh, uh, learned while I earned. And I think a lot wow. of it was just osmosis because I've got, uh, my dad would record my sister and I in the kitchen singing Christmas carols and all those silly things you do with a tape recorder. And uh, I hear in those early recordings a distinct Boston accent. And then just through osmosis, I think it disappeared. Oh, okay, so I was going to ask you that. So you didn't like study standard American diction and work at it? No, I think I was just uh, sort of uh, unconsciously emulating the people whom I admired. Wow. And it kind of went away. Now, you get a couple- Did you get made fun of? Like, I went to- I, I was from the Bronx, I'm from the Bronx, mm-hmm. and I had a, a heavy New York accent, and I came went out to school in Tucson, and yeah. they made fun of me sounding like New York, but then I'd go home for the holidays, and they'd make fun of me because I sounded like I was from the West. So, <laughs> it, there was so, like, so here you are, this Boston kid with this perfect standard American diction. Was, was anybody thinking that was weird? No, not really, because it sounded perfectly fine on the radio. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was, I think we were all attuned to that sort of generic radio voice in the sense of, 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 a, of a regionalism. It doesn't really have a regionalism Well, no, but I mean it. in real life. No, no, it no. wasn't, no. Okay, so And now- I'm always a couple tequilas away from sounding like a Boston guy, too. So. <laughs> okay, so what was the first radio show? It was in, uh, at my, the hometown radio mm-hmm. station when I was still in high school. Oh. And I did a Saturday night rock show from like six to midnight. 
Did you get to pick, you know, because in those days, I think DJs It'd were picking their own music. It would be 1972, yeah, so yeah. I was. It was, it was wow. uh, vinyl. Imagine that. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Do you know, I listened to Little Steven's Underground Garage because mm-hmm. it came with my car. I mm-hmm. get serious now. Oh, yeah, me too. And, yeah. and... Oh my God! It's like the best radio station I've. It's 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 a throwback to that yeah. because the DJs are actually playing what they want to play. Right, right. And it's not this program's listening to the same things. No, over it's and a over whole. And, and I remember the the. I still have a sense memory of queuing up a record, and you know if you've played it enough, it's got that cue burn on it. Yeah. So I'd always try to talk over that so you wouldn't hear the <laughs> before the actual <laughs> the first licks of the uh, of the guitar. Well, okay, so now you did that in high school, and yeah. and did you go to college? I was going to go to Emerson College in Boston uh-huh. to get a communications degree with the hopes of then getting a job in radio. But I had a job in radio. Yes, you did. So I decided to stay and, and work in the business. And uh, then my boss, who had hired me when I was 17, and had we had almost like a, a strange, dysfunctional parental relationship, he, he, he said to me while chewing on the end of his glasses, which he was prone to do, Tommy... Tommy, uh, I didn't hire you so you wouldn't go to school. If you don't go to school, I'm going to fire you. Wow. So I ended up going to a local community college and taking courses that I was interested in, Uh one of which was a mime course. That's so crazy. And I started working with the teacher and another student. We formed a small company, and that's how I started performing in in a theater company that we basically started uh, and doing the morning radio show for a while, and then, uh, then I, I. Did you ever marry those two things together, like I, moving and talking at the same time? I yeah 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 sort of something Gerald Ford never was able to master. <laughs> um, there's a callback. <laughs> See, we get that. We do. Yeah. Justin, did you get that? Yeah. Um, Justin's pretty hip. But I and, and I would do you know you know goofy uh, uh, mime performances on radio occasionally, just as a goof. You know, I would I would as I'm now about to walk against a category two wind. <laughs> <laughs> Were you ever a weatherman? No. Okay. No. No. Right. But I just thought to show the degree of difficulty of the mime <laughs> technique. You know, it, it's more difficult the the you know the stronger the wind. Yes, the I would. The more am- the illusion is is is, <laughs> is it's tougher to pull off. And, and how about uh, this? I, I want to know a little bit about your upbringing. So were your parents supportive of, of Very this? much so. Uh, they were, my dad particularly, they were often puzzled as, you know, there was nobody else in our family who had any predilection to. He was a, he worked at Western Electric, which was part of the Bell system. Okay. He ended up doing things like labor relation and management training and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he did, he was a performer of sorts. Did he have he, that voice? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And he had the, the eyebrow too, this eyebrow. <laughs> um, my niece is here with me and she can, she can back me up on that, right, Allie? Yeah. Um, but uh, he, he was wonderful in a classroom setting. I actually went once to just watch him teach mm. at Western Electric and I saw how he just held the, his class in rapt attention and knew how to make it theatrical and interesting. And so I guess the performing aspect in some ways I got from him and the uh, sardonic humor a bit from my mom I suppose I was going to say yeah. where did that come from yeah. okay yeah yeah uh, and okay so they were supportive of you which yeah. is the world okay. even even when they you know were concerned and and you know I, there were periods of unemployment and this that and the other thing but always supportive always said you know if if you need to come back home 
and you know kind of regroup you always have a place here and that that was worth everything to me you know that's been a running theme for us justin it seems like everybody that's sort of living their dream and successful at it has had successful parents yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I mean have had parents that supported them right. and right. have been okay quite a few of of our guests have not gone to college or yeah. been college dropouts yeah. and have been incredibly successful yeah. so the fact that um I went to college and my parents said, no, don't do it. That It's their fault that I'm not more successful. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's the answer. There, there, so, right. But, so, you know, the There'll be an effigy burning <laughs> later. <laughs> so so the, per the, the reason for this show, Tom, is to sort of give people sort of an indication of uh, how people did it. Okay, so you started out. You knew what you wanted to do. Yeah. You were doing it. Yeah. How did you segue from radio to next steps? Because you ended up doing daytime TV, morning yeah, TV. Yeah, well, I, I found, interestingly, the, the, the person I call my best broadcasting teacher mm. was a mime. <laughs> by, and I, as silly as that sounds, by the name of Tony Montanaro okay. in South Paris, Maine. So I can technically say on a polygraph, I studied mime in Paris and get by. <laughs> Uh, but he was this wonderfully gifted teacher and performer who had studied with Marceau. Wow. And I heard about his uh, place, the Celebration uh, Mime Theater, which I recently went back to and, and uh, still have connections with. Nice. And uh, Antonio has since sadly passed away, but, but he was just this revelatory person in my life. I, mentoring is something that I think, if we can find mentors in our life or be mentors for people, it's, it's so everything. crucial. And Tony was one for me. He was a, a very important person How did for you me. find him? How did you I connect? heard about him from somebody, while I was doing the, the performances in my, my hometown area, mm -hmm. somebody told me about this guy who it was building this school and has you know had this incredible reputation had had been a performer and teacher in New York mm -hmm. and and again the Marceau connection and I went up and and spent one summer kind of interning and living in this you know kind of flop house with it just it, it, in this terribly hot summer it was like one of those you know starving artist scenarios uh -huh. but I made a connection with him and went back to radio in my hometown because my boss there was lovely enough mm -hmm. to take me back periodically nice. so I could earn enough money to go work at the theater company. Wow. And, uh, and, and Tony, uh, the t what, he, what he taught me about being present, mm -hmm. now I'm somebody who's meditated, as you know, yes. for mm -hmm. over 30 years, mm -hmm. TM meditation, but I was just starting to do it then, mm -hmm. and utilizing that, that discipline of being in the present moment mm -hmm. on stage Wow, that's was something that he really uh, helped me learn, and and as a result, f you know, fast forward to 2016 when when some shit goes down on live TV, those techniques are still coming in handy. All right, so let's get out of the time frame for a second and talk about that since yeah. we're here. Um, I watched it. This is most the premiere of Dancing with the Stars this season. Yeah. Wow, and um, most of America was watching, mm. and. Um, what was alarming was on the show, we didn't see what actually happened. Yeah. We were seeing Carrie Ann just kind of continue yeah, to Yeah, there talk. was a split screen. Of course, I, I don't really know what shots they're taking, so I didn't know what you did see or didn't see what, until later. But it later. was behind you, wasn't it? It was off to my side because okay. I, I, 
for folks who, who might not know what we're talking about, Ryan Lochte, who created a bit of controversy in Rio during the Olympics, <laughs> is one of the contestants in this season on Dancing with the Stars. He did his premiere dance on the Monday night show. And as he was getting his critique from one of our judges, uh, two guys who had dressed as you dress for the show, mm-hmm. me a jacket and shirt and all mm-hmm. that, got rid of the jacket shirt under which they had T-shirts. I was going to say, I d- they didn't look like they were dressed to me because no. the guy is just wearing yeah, the they, clip that I saw. They did a bizarro Clark Kent thing and it was under there, you know. <laughs> and uh, and so, you you know, you've been there. It's loud in there. Yeah, People yeah, yeah. are either cheering right. or they're, you know, booing the judges. <laughs> so it's not uncommon for there to be a lot of volume. And I'm focused on Carrie Ann and right. listening to her critique. And then I see her expression change, and it's getting louder closer. Okay. So I turned, and I see these two jokers with, you know, their their stylish T-shirts <laughs> uh, yelling, you know, Lochte's a liar. This I... And before I could even do anything, our security team, God bless them, had them suck, at least one of the guys sucking floor. Uh, that was the most alarming thing to yeah. me, is that when I watched somebody from the audience, they, they you could watch on the internet the, yeah. the footage, which they didn't show on TV. And the next morning on GMA, I was there, and we showed all the different camera you angles. Did? Yeah, <laughs> oh, I yeah. missed that. Yeah. But that was really kind of scary, yeah. seeing them put it. I mean, I understand why they did it, yeah. but it, was, it had to be very unnerving for everyone sitting in the audience to witness this. But what made it... Okay, was Tom Bergeron, because as you are managed to do, but okay, so now you're here. So tell us what's going through your mind when all of this is going on. It's it's it. Time slows down. Okay. And I looked and I see this guy coming closer, and I'm th- you you two, you're sort of doing an assessment. Okay, it doesn't look that difficult to take. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we can clothesline this asshole. <laughs> so, but before I could even move in that direction or anything, Dave, our security guy, was just boom. Oh, he was so on him. Oh and, my god. And so then instantly I know. Okay. That's taken care of. Right. I hear Carrie Ann yelling, there's more. I look over, there are a few women in the row where he came from wearing those shirts too. Get out of here. This De- I don't even know. Yeah, Derek Huff, God bless him, runs from backstage and starts berating these women. He's going, this is a positive show. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and in my ear, you know, the the one of our exec producers is telling me to do what I knew I was going to do anyway, right. which is just throw to a commercial. Right. So we can all catch our breath. Right. And, uh, and, and more security came in and everybody was escorted out and the police arrested these guys and all that stuff. And we came back from break. And I never know really what I'm going to say until I start opening my mouth. <laughs> but we came back and, and I said, uh, on a personal note, I would just like to thank our security for staying in shape. <laughs> <laughs> And I think in that, and the the same thing happened years earlier when Marie Osmond fainted. Somebody, you know, somebody just brought that up to me. And and I had to go back and watch it again. Okay, so tell us about that. And that one was another case where my first concern was for the safety and welfare of the, you know, I, I wanted to make sure Ryan and Cheryl were okay. In that instance, I wanted to make sure Marie was okay. Some people thought she had faked it. And as I said on one of her, she had a talk show on on a cable station years later, and she brought that up. And Mm -hmm. I turned to her studio audience. I said, let me tell you, I was looking at her when she was lying unconscious on the floor, and I have never seen even an Osmond look that white. (laughs) (laughs) 
and uh, See, and now, she writers can't write that yeah, shit there you for go. you. That's all time. And right and there. and she blinked her uh, during the commercial break because oh. we had the paramedic come in oh. and all that. She blinked awake, and, and I don't know if you've ever fainted. I Once. did uh, a couple times when I was younger, mm-hmm. and I know that disorientation feeling right. as when you come out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's, she looked at me, and she it kind of dawned on her where she was, what had happened. Oh my and God. she said, oh, crap. <laughs> and I knew she had just given me the line to welcome the viewers back. Because I knew that we were going to get her backstage so she could you know, get looked at. Right. We were going to come back on the air in a wide shot. Right how I physically was standing would be an indication to the viewer as to whether or not Everything she, she was okay. had died or not. <laughs> and so I was, uh, you know, I tried to, I don't even know if they took the wide shot, but I tried to be fairly casual looking. Uh-huh. Yes. And then when it came to me, I said, you know, Maria's backstage. And, and when she blinked awake, she looked at me and she said, oh, crap. And it got a big <laughs> laugh. And and so that's similar to the I'd like to thank the security team for staying in shape. My my goal is to make you know it's okay. We got this. Which you do. Thank Which you. you do like nobody else. <laughs> thank and you, you do it all the time because there are awkward moments. Yeah. You know, yeah. with Len and I mean there's just oh there there are awkward. But that's times. the joy of it. You know, obviously I don't I don't need protesters or, or passing <laughs> out. But the joy of live T V to me, like live stage work or radio, right. is the unpredictability of it, the, the the fact that it focuses your attention ideally. I mean, I meditate between the dress rehearsal and the live show. I'll mm-hmm. be in my dressing room and I'll I'll meditate for anywhere from ten to twenty minutes. Fantastic. Just to get make sure that that particular muscle mm-hmm. is is ready. Um, did you uh, did you take improv when you were? Yeah, with Tony. I mean, we did stuff with Tony particularly. Yeah, and. It's it, when you said at the top of the of this that the the secret to improv is that you always say yes. Yeah. And um, Justin and I, on uh, one of our early shows, um, the guest kept saying, "No, Vic, <laughs> no, Vic," to every single question. Really. Every and but one. he is a brilliant. Justin is a brilliant sound engineer, Emmy winning, I might yes, add. Yes, congratulations. And he took Thank out you. all the Novics and. It sounded like a wonderful conversation. That's fun. Now, was this person just being reticent to answer questions or disputing your... Just a contrarian. Yeah. Just a person who tends to be a contrarian. Yeah. And actually, his answers weren't no. Well, he'd say no, and then he'd answer yeah. the question. He'd so say, interesting. He was yeah, actually was very... very game, but but it's just sort of his way to, yeah. to be a contrarian because who, it's expected who, who, who of him. Who was no, it? Come on, come on. <laughs> come on. Yeah, so uh, I'll tell you in the commercial break. All right, so, uh, so anyway, so so yes, so being the knowing that rule of improv of always saying mm-hmm. yes and being, and being uh, somebody who meditates and being yeah. present, um, you, you have that skill as well. I love it. I mean, I literally, I'm, for me, Going on stage on a live show, I'm like a kid on Christmas morning. That's so great. Conversely, in mm-hmm. areas where most people are comfortable, like at, say, a little social function cocktail party, I'm, I'm the guy with the sweaty upper lip looking at the door, <laughs> you know. And my wife gave me the best advice. She said, because we live in a neighborhood association in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and they would, they'd have these parties, and I would always come up with a reason, you know, that I, I, I didn't have, I'm having my period, whatever. <laughs> um, and... Uh, And she said, why don't you look for the person in there who looks more uncomfortable than you feel Mm 
Wow. And interview them. You love to hear about people's lives, the choices they make, who they are, what, what they do. What a great suggestion. It was brilliant. And it helped. And do you do that to this I don't, day? I still don't go to a lot of parties because yeah. I don't enjoy them. But, <laughs> <laughs> but when I can't get out of it, that's what I do. That's really... Yeah. Okay, so where did you discover this? Because you have this extraordinary skill. Because being an MC, being a master of ceremonies, being the guy who's sort of keeping things moving is a very unique and special skill. Did you... Was that... Did you aspire to that? No. Or was it something you just discovered you were good at? Did you ever want to be the guy and... Did you want to be the actor? Did you want to be... How did that happen for I, you? I, I guess part of it is, I, you know, I've said that my career has all of the logic of a hostage note. I mean, it's all just sort of, you know, it only looks, it, it only looks like it had a plan in hindsight. Um, and, and I really did what was in front of me. I mean, I was, I wanted to work in a theater company. I found out about this guy. I ended up, you know, over the period of two years working and training with him. He was not, even though he had studied with Marceau, mm -hmm. He, it wasn't silent white face mime. It was improv theater that he was doing. I and, see. and the body and space was part of it. Uh -huh. But years later, when I was doing a show on FX cable called Breakfast Time, mm -hmm. and Marceau was my guest. Oh, my God. And I was able to talk to him about Tony. Did who, he talk Did he talk on the he air? Was, yes, yes, he <laughs> did. He, he did? never shut he, <laughs> he never would shut up. That was the, the irony. I've actually seen him interviewed yeah. in your... Yes. But we did... We, we performed together. Oh I was my actually God. on live television doing mime alongside oh my Marcel God. Marceau. And during the commercial, he spoke with such affection for Tony. Oh. Um, and it was, it was just, it was great. So, wow. so all of these things are, were sort of woven together and they're not delineated in my mind as hosting this, acting here. It's all of a big stew pot. Okay, so you, so you didn't have a plan. No, you kind nor of, do I still. <laughs> well, you don't really need one. You're, no, you're kind yeah, of there. It's okay. But so things unfolded. Yeah. Did, but okay, so what I want to know is, did you, you didn't have a conscious plan. No. But do you think you had sort of an unconscious, or, or were you just totally present and just totally following what was... That's more it. Because okay. my, my belief then and now is whatever uh, stage I'm on... Mm -hmm. What are the potentials here? Uh, for for a while in Boston, when I first started in Boston TV, it was hosting a weekly kid show that had a format similar to the PM Evening Magazine format. Uh, but I also got hired to do the lottery drawings. So the daily number and the mega bucks, which was twice weekly, I was the guy next to the spinning balls. <laughs> And I thought the reason I took that, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't aspire to be a lottery host, but I thought this is a great opportunity to be on live television in a major market and to start to get known and to find ways, even in this minute, to inject my own personality. So I would Which say you things did like, all over the place. I huh? would say things like, welcome to As the Wheels Turn, <laughs> or, you know, uh, I'm here in the Mega Tux. You know, uh, anything that would make it distinctive and, and, and more than just a guy standing next to bouncing balls. I'm get I'm I'm getting a, 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 I'm getting a thread here that's starting to make sense to me. It seems like 
because you did so many things right. that maybe other people might not, but you brought yourself to all of them. Right. And so it was all sort of training for you to get to where you and mm-hmm. have, be- have mm-hmm. come to now because you always brought yourself. Yeah. You always bring yourself. Now, and and I've, I tell this to students. Uh, I tell this to people who aspire to be in the media. Mm-hmm. Never phone it in. If you're at a 1,000-watt station, if the light bulb's in the station illuminating your studio are more powerful than the signal that's sending your voice out there, don't assume you're wasting your time. Wow. You never know who's listening. I was doing a nightly show mm-hmm. on the radio in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, a, a place that's still very, very special to me. And people in Boston television were listening to it. Wow. And it's because of that radio show, which was uh, a, sort of a comedy show. I'd have musicians come in and perform live. I would call all over the world mm-hmm. if a story made me laugh. People in Boston TV started calling and saying, would you come down and audition for something? That's how television started. Okay, okay so I want to get to that. Okay, but so so bring your A game to everything, everything all the time. Everything. Did anyone ever give you a hard time about the fact that you were so impromptu in the yes. moment? Okay. Yes, there was one. Here's the first example that pops into mind, a, a boss of mine, and we're still good friends. He was my boss in Boston, and I was hosting, in addition to that lottery thing, mm-hmm. during the day, mm-hmm. I was hosting daytime programming, which meant for about 14 times during the day, I'd be on for anywhere from 60 seconds to 90 seconds. Okay. Glenn Close was one of my guests. We promoted two of her movies in under two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> when we got off live TV, she looked at me and said, what the hell just happened? <laughs> Some of them we pre-taped if based on a guest's availability. Right. And I was using it to be funny, and, it, and, and my boss took me aside and said, you know, we, I need you to not be goofing around quite as much. You know, please kind of rein it in a little bit. And we had already taped one mm-hmm. where the uh, Roger Berkowitz, who has the legal seafoods chain of restaurants back east, we were promoting a the charity. Legal, sea- legal seafoods is the name of the chain of uh, what. If you're ever who back, who thinks it's a good idea to put the <clears throat> word legal with sea with food? Let, let me tell you, I, I don't understand. I, I know, that. I know. You're you're a, you're a New Yorker. You're yeah. living in California, but if you're ever back east, okay, eat there. You will love it. Wow, you will love okay. it. Yeah. So he's there. He's promoting a charity event. He has a a bottle of wine that was from Napoleon's wine cellar. What? That is going to be auctioned off in this charity thing. Wow. And I, I thought it would be funny to make it look like, because he handed it to me mm-hmm. and I would pretend to bobble it. <laughs> As the logo came up and, and we disappeared from the screen, you'd hear the sound of glass breaking. <laughs> and Roger would just go, oh no. So we had that in the can uh-huh. and then we had this edict from the boss mm-hmm. that we can't do funny stuff. So I knew when it was going to air, and I wanted to distract him. So I hired a belly dancer to show up. I swear to God. I hired a belly dancer to show up in his office, purportedly to—this is such a convoluted story—purportedly to thank him for scheduling Return to Mayberry on a Saturday night, because he was going to preempt it. It was on—we were an NBC affiliate. The Andy Griffith Show reunion, oddly, was going to be on NBC instead of CBS. Mm-hmm. He was going to preempt it with a local—I said, you can't do this. This is like going to—I'm on Andy Griffith. This is going to be one of the biggest TV movies of the year. Yeah. So he relented. 
they they and so uh, pretending that that's what I was thanking him for, but really trying to distract him from our bobbling Napoleon's wine bit. I had a belly dancer show up uh, in his office. Oh my so, God, that's hysterical. Yeah. Okay, so that was one time when you were. Asked I'm not, not sure to be what funny. led to me telling you that story, no, but I'm I glad asked I you, did. Were you ever discouraged from being from oh, being yourself no. and from being funny? I, I people would try. But basically, there yeah, was yeah, yeah. there was that big smile, and in my head, that fuck you. Okay, so now, do they lose it? Like on Dancing with the Stars, I mean, I <clears throat> I see you do it all the time. I, I mean, I know when you're throwing something mm-hmm, out at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, do do the judges ever lose it? I mean, do do <laughs> are they are they in the moment, or are they so in their heads that they don't even catch it? That, we we have such great rapport. Sometimes they'll prepare, like Bruno will during commercial go, Tom, do you think I should say this or say this? But, you know, that was does, a really good does, does this reference make sense? You know, like he asked me, he, he had something about Ryan that he he thought he might say. I thought uh-huh. nah, that's too far. <laughs> that's too really? far. Really? Uh, but no, there we have a. Great Great rapport mm-hmm. and and very much. I did say to Len uh, before this season started. I said, "Did you notice Len? I'm making fewer jokes about your age the older I get." <laughs> he goes, "Yeah, I did." Because <laughs> oh, I'm the age that Len was when we started the show. We're, we're the yeah, same. You yeah, and I are the yeah, same age. Yeah. We're, we're, we're 1955. That's yeah. right, 55. Yes, that's yeah. the year. Uh, so, so I noticed this year um, a, another good friend. Um, uh, Mary Lou is on. Yes. And and, um, yes. and I don't know Maureen McCormick, but I feel like I do because I grew up with her, right. right? Who didn't? But I'm watching these two women that are extraordinarily poised and sophisticated. I mean, I know Mary Lou fairly well. Yeah. Sophisticated and accomplished. She's like 12 on that I show. I know. It's, it's like, it's I can't lovely. even believe what's going I have never seen two women more excited to do anything. Right. Anything. Maureen right. was like crying she was. through her entire and, and thing. And the fact that Florence Henderson was there. Oh, that was and so to beautiful. to give them a chance to just go up and, uh, you know, to, uh, that was, and that was something we didn't even talk about before. Oh, really? Just in the moment, I saw Florence there, whom I adore. Yeah. And there's Maureen cry. Oh. I said, go hug your mom. Oh, that's you know, just yeah. so sweet. Yeah, yeah it, it's just, it's amazing <laughs> what that show brings out yeah, in people. Yeah, it's true. And, and you kind of get to to ring lead yeah, the whole very thing. Much, and, very and, much, very much. And allow people their vulnerabilities yeah. and and celebrate them. And you're, you're so great at that. Thank you're, you. You're, and I think maybe it does all come down to this whole meditation thing that you are so present in the moment. I know on the way here, every time I, I do my serenity prayers and my mm-hmm. stuff before I walk in the door and... Doesn't help at all. <laughs> but I'm working on it. But Can't the, hurt. But the meditation stuff is for me is murder. I mean, I have a really. I've been trying for years. I've been in the rooms, and it's really difficult. Yeah. What What um, can you tell us a little bit about your meditation? Well, practice? yeah. The, the type I do is TM meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and, Tell uh, us what that is. For well, that. A, a transcendental meditation is something that, that those of you old enough to remember when the Beatles and mm-hmm. the Maharishi Mahesh yes. Yogi and all that. And it's. Look, you have a the, mantra? I do have a mantra. Were you and, given your mantra? <clears throat> yes, I was. And do you have the same mantra all these years? Uh, yeah, all these years. Yeah. No mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go ahead, However, mm-hmm. I would say, and they won't like it that I'm saying this, mm-hmm. but I think it's like Coke and Pepsi and Dr. Pepper. Meditation is meditation is meditation. Okay. Whether you have a mantra that mm-hmm. you got from a teacher, mm-hmm. whether there's a word like slower, 
or focus or love or mm-hmm. present or what, whatever you use as that device, mm-hmm. meditation is primarily focusing your attention, allowing the stress to kind of roll out of your system, to just flush the, out of your system. For me, it, it's not so much that I do TM is that I meditate. So whether it's your breath your, or a, a flickering flame from a candle, mm-hmm. anything that focuses your attention, mm-hmm. and then thoughts inevitably Okay, this come is what in, I want to ask you. And so this th- is where a lot of people will stop. They'll th- think, oh, I, I'm having thoughts. I'm, I'm not doing it right. Right. I don't do it right because I have thoughts. And, so and what do you, you do with those? You, for no, Number one, you, you accept the fact that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Don't judge it. Mm-hmm. Treat the thoughts. The image I like is of styrofoam on a river top. You know, it's kind of those are the thoughts. And all you have to do is just move them. Just move it aside. Move it aside. Keep it going down river. And do you um, do that? Is that a visual you do in your head? Or Well, originally I did. Now it's such a conditioned response. Mm-hmm. When I'm aware that I've strayed from the mantra mm-hmm. to thoughts, I just go back to the mantra. No big deal. No judgment. I'm not succeeding or failing. It just is. And Are some meditations more successful than others? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. There mm-hmm. are times when within minutes I, I feel uh, almost like pure energy. Wow. I, and I have to sometimes move my hands or feet to remember where they are. Wow. Um, and, I've never gotten to that place. I have and never gotten to that extremely, place. it's uh, extremely relaxing. And, and the, the benefit of that beyond the time that I actually spend in meditation mm-hmm. is that as stress is coming in, as potential stressors are coming mm-hmm. in, it's very easy to gauge whether they deserve my attention or not. Because sometimes when we're really overwrought in our lives, we mm-hmm. treat everything equally. Everything, all the crap, all the mm-hmm. shit that's coming at us, mm-hmm. we, we give it equal bearing in our life. It doesn't, it doesn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. Be that interpersonal things with friends or family or just logistical things in our lives, it's much easier for me to determine where I want to expend energy when I have spent time uh, nurturing that energy. It's very powerful. So do you find, do you not lose it? I mean, I, you're a Taurus, aren't you? The reason I started meditating was because of my temper. Yeah, I, because I left, are yeah, notorious. Yeah, I left a number of apartments with holes in the wall. <laughs> Seriously. I was married to Taurians. Yeah. Only Taurians. I've, only married Taurians. I've put my fist holes. through a few walls. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So does that, did that stop happening when you started meditating? Yeah. I mean, I still... Do you still feel I, it? Bob? I can still feel it. it okay. I can, you know, there, there's a great uh, analogy uh, with, because uh, Star Trek's having its 50th and I'm a big mm-hmm. fan and, and, and Leonard Nimoy... And you were on Star Trek. Yeah, you, a couple yep. of episodes yeah, yeah. of the Enterprise mm-hmm. show. And uh, good friends with Shatner, mm-hmm. who's just amazing. <laughs> but, but Spock's character wasn't mm-hmm. somebody without emotion. It, he was somebody who was keeping his emotions in check. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Similarly, that temper is always there. I mean, it's always, it's part of my my wiring, but the meditation is the way I keep it in check. Um, Does I it ever get away from you? Um, not to that extent. That's not so to great. that. I haven't punched a wall in 30 years. That's, that's <laughs> I'm happy to say. That's a There's really... a lot of sheet rock feeling very relieved. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, well, that's really good to know, and yeah. and all of that also prepares you for for being this guy who's in the moment. Have you, you've okay, so you've had all of these things sort of fall into place and take you from the next. Did was there ever anything you wanted career wise that you didn't get? There were things that 
were were happening that I wasn't sure I wanted that I didn't get. Um, like, Good Morning America was one. Okay. Um, I was under contract to replace uh, Charles Gibson mm-hmm. when he left, and they had a uh, the person replacing Joan London and I just didn't have any chemistry, mm-hmm. and so that went by the wayside. Was that disappointing, uh, or did it you wasn't just roll because with they it? had to cut me a big check, <laughs> 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 and it wasn't. And I knew with that particular person, it mm-hmm. just wasn't going to work anyway. Mm-hmm. The, the one that was the biggest disappointment mm-hmm. to me, I, the, I alluded to a cable show that I did for a couple of years. When FX first launched, mm-hmm. they had live programming in New York in this loft apartment. And I hosted, co-hosted a morning show called Breakfast Time. And it was a cult hit. And, and uh, we got reviewed in Newsweek and the LA Times loved us and all this. And an executive at Fox said, I want to take that show mm-hmm. and make it our first morning show on the Fox network. So wow. he greenlit that move and then he went to Paramount. <laughs> and when they, and you know enough about the business, when you're mm-hmm. somebody else's project, mm-hmm. it's not a good place to be. Yeah. And so by the time- My option went down the toilet. There you go, by the time yet. we got to the network, we were, the other guy, Greg Mydell, had gone to Paramount, he was the one that loved us, mm-hmm. and there were other people who was like, what's this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, was, it was a nightmare, it, it was, it, it Everything that was wonderful about the cable show mm-hmm. incrementally was cut off from the network version mm-hmm. until, and I've, I don't think there's been a period in my life where I drank as much really? as then. Wow. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of times meditation isn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> and you turn to vodka. <laughs> okay, so now on Dancing with the Stars you get to be sort of yourself and yeah, do very all much of that. So, yeah. Is there is there something that you haven't done yet that you'd still like to do? Interestingly, I I was um I, I some friends of mine from my BZ days do a show on NPR. From your what days? WBZ, I'm Thank sorry. You. Sorry, yeah. What no, that I was, is. I know, I'm talking legal seafoods and BZ and <laughs> losing you here, Vicky. I'm losing you. Uh, but uh, they do a show for NPR called Says You. Mm-hmm. And they invited me to be a panelist on a couple of uh, uh, episodes that they were taping in San Bernardino mm-hmm. on a college campus. And so. Uh, this summer, before going back east to do the Fourth of July show for PBS, I taped these shows. And before we went out to the auditorium mm-hmm. to tape them, they put us in a little black box theater mm-hmm. to wait. You know, mm-hmm. that was sort of our green room. Mm-hmm. And I started getting this urge to do a show, like write <laughs> write a show with improv elements like a one-man show in a small theater setting, mm-hmm. almost hearkening back to what I did in Maine years oh, ago. Wow. To Instead of doing another TV show, which mm-hmm. I don't really have a lot of interest in doing, frankly, hosting another TV show, mm-hmm. but to do something in a small theater setting that I could, you know, maybe a, like a 90-minute one-man show that you could take anywhere. Nice. That has some interest to me. Have you done anything to sort of? I've dabbled. I, I I go back. It's almost it's it's almost like that that uh, that enticing dessert on the counter that you take a bite out of and you walk away from it. And you come back and do another nibble. And so I've I, I've been writing a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to invite you with that in mind to come back. The women who write eight years later is a completely different audience. Uh-huh. And I would love for you to come and just try and out. And I could workshop some stuff with you. You really could. Oh, that would I be would, great. I would love for you to but do now, that. Now, see, but this is, what's happening right now 
is is exactly how my yeah. career has played out. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing leads to another. I didn't know that I was going to tell you that story, mm-hmm. and then you'd invite me to workshop it in front of your crew, which I, having had the wonderful experience eight years ago, you know, now that gives me more incentive to really, Sit you know, take a big the, bite yeah. of that dessert, you know, yes. and really work on it. But that's how it plays out, and this is what I I tell. Students, you know, it's what you put out. If you're, if if you believe you're going to fail, what's that great expression? Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Wow, I've never heard that before. Yeah. That's and, really and good. It's, but it's really about the energy you put out. So, you, if you're that's open, real, that's our if, takeaway. Justin. There you go. If you if you're open to stuff, mm-hmm. all the connective tissue starts to become apparent. It, you know, whether you're on live TV or we're talking, or you know, you start you start getting that the energy instead of drawing the shade and going woe is me and my life sucks and nobody loves me it's perfect because i prescribe to the theory that if i do my part the universe will take care of the rest so if i just keep putting one foot in front of the other taking right actions just keep moving forward right as my mentor anson williams has been mentoring me oh is that right yes oh that's great i spoke to him this afternoon to merge create my creativity with commerce because the, the commerce part has eluded the creative part. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Creative part's firing on all cells, but right. you know, it's getting that commerce to come up yeah, to yeah. But it's about me just keep, if I keep doing the inaction, keep moving forward, right. keep moving forward, then the door's open. Can, as soon as I start to think, I can't do this, what do I do? I don't know what to do, then all the doors close. And, and an important sidebar to that is, mm-hmm. and I've had a lot of people say, well, isn't the competition incredible out in Hollywood? And do you ever think, I said, no, I never really thought about the competition. I thought about, am I doing, I know what my capabilities are. Mm-hmm. I know when I'm slacking off. Mm-hmm. I know when I'm really doing the best I can for good or ill. It may not achieve the goal, mm-hmm. but it's building a muscle. Right. So, so I never think about the other people who may have tried out to That's host so things. That's so great. Yeah. And, and and first of all, that never gets us anywhere because no. it, the universe is abundant. Yeah. There's enough for everybody to. That'd succeed. be like me going. I so want to be six four. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't happening. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. okay, so Justin's giving me the, the fingers because, well, not well, the, <laughs> no. No, you put it all You said plural. You said plural. Right. The fingers, all five of them, because, uh, because I have two last questions for you. Okay, all so right. my first question is, is there anybody, you've met everybody, is there anybody that makes you starstruck? Is there anybody that, like, takes your breath away? Um, the, the Dick Van Dyke. Oh. He was the one that, and even when I, and, and Carl, uh, who I've been friends with, going Reiner, back to my, uh, yes, him. Carl Reiner, going back to my days in Boston, and I adore him, mm. but I, I always wanted to meet Dick. Yeah. And the, having met him and having had a lunch with him that lasted two and a half hours, oh. and he's just such a lovely guy. You look a and, little like Dick. Well, it's you, funny. It's funny. I posted a picture on Instagram. I, I posted a picture on Instagram of the two of us making the same expression. I saw it. And and it was it was fun. I sent Carl a picture of me kind of doing a Rob Petrie look at a picture of him as Rob <laughs> on his book. So I wanted Carl to sign the book. And uh, but but he. He was just, to me, when I was growing up, mm-hmm. as somebody who loved physical comedy and broadcasting, here was this guy, Rob Petrie, mm. who was a brilliant physical comedian yes. and was working in in broadcasting, you know, on the Alan right, Brady show. Right, right, right. And it was just like, oh my God, That's this is life. like, this <laughs> is it. 
this is the best. I think and he had a to, hot wife. I think yes. Yeah. I, I think you have to play Dick. I think th- I think that's that in sounds your so wrong out of context. <laughs> oh my god, it does. Okay. So, all right. So here's my last question. So, oh my god. All right. You have to play. Dick. Did yeah. I really say that. Yeah, I did. you did. All right. That's so, right. Okay. So it's going to be my new ringtone. <laughs> so, um, Tom. Do you have any guilty pleasures? Is there anything that it could be a food, music, a television show, a movie, something, anything? Is there anything that you feel you love but is so wrong? Is oh, no, no. There isn't nothing? really. No, well, not that I'm going to tell you about. Um, <laughs> though, you know, it's funny. The first thing that came to mind is uh, one of the best, and I, I'll share this with you you folks, if you if you ever suffer from insomnia. All the time. Difficult uh, time sleeping. I, and years ago when I was doing the Good Morning America mm-hmm. stuff or an early morning TV oh, show, to get up and I life. had to take a nap, that's mm-hmm. when I found out mm-hmm. the healing uh, powers of the human roofie that is Bob Ross. <laughs> Bob Ross, who is uh, uh, sadly uh, no longer with us, but many of his shows are, was a painter on public yes. television. He's who, on Netflix now. He's on Netflix, <laughs> he's right. On Netflix. Is he really? And yeah, he, it, shows on there. Oh, he would make a painting in a half an hour and he is, I don't think I've ever seen a whole show because I just, you fall asleep. I fall asleep. <laughs> I would, I, when I was doing GMA, I actually, this is back in, the, back in the day of VHS tapes, I sent away for two one-hour shows oh, so you could to, go to sleep? knock me out. Yeah. It was like I cosbeat myself with Bob Ross. I love it. That's perfect. That's a perfect guilty. I mean, you don't have to call it that, but yeah, that's perfect. There that's you exactly go. what we're looking for. Tom, thank you so much. This was You're, a pleasure as you I are, expected it to be. You are one of my favorite people on the planet. Thank, Thank you, you so dear. much Ditto. for saying yes again. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to you coming back to Women Who Write, and I'm looking forward to you being Dick Van Dyke one day. I see that in the cards. I'll be, I'll be an aging Bert the Chimney Sweep. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Thank Take you. Care. I love you too. So, Justin, Tom's, yes. Tom something, isn't he? Oh, he's great. I mean, will you have you ever seen Dancing with the Stars? I mean, you're of a younger generation, and I guess that's not really your thing. I've seen a few episodes, yeah. Yeah, because he's yeah. always really I'm actually, funny. I'm a big uh, Gary Busey fan, so I had to watch when he was on a little bit, because wow. I mean, he's hilarious. Did I you, uh, so funny. and now are you a Gary Busey fan because of... of I'm a Gary Busey fan because of the Buddy Holly story. That's when I became a Buddy, I oh. mean, a, a Gary Busey fan. But are you a Because fi- he's kind of crazy in real he, life. He was great in that. Yeah. Um, I think he's great in a lot of his other early stuff as well. But he he just is so nuts. And he had this show for a little <laughs> while when I was in yes. high school. That uh-huh. was on MTV called I'm with Busey. Yes, I was almost on it. We saw him on the street oh when he had that thing. He was crazy. Yeah, he just, that poor intern guy that is basically the host of the show (laughs) he just has him do the most ridiculous things and just when you see him on interviews too just the stuff he says it's just he's everything is hilarious that he says it's great well i don't think there's anybody funnier than tom i gotta tell you and and, and gary doesn't mean to be funny but tom does but tom does and he knows how funny he is he's hysterical and for me justin i think the takeaway today with Tom was, and, and I said it in the middle of the show, wait, that's the takeaway. And and I don't know if I'm going to get it exactly the way Tom said it, but basically he's present. He's present yeah. for his life and he trusts that good things are going to happen and that the right thing's going to happen. And he, I think he said something like, if you say yes, 
then things happen. If you say no, then things don't happen. Or maybe I said that, but <laughs> one of us said that. But but I, I think that's kind of the life he's lived, is that yeah. he just kind of stayed present and trusted that the next right thing would present itself, and it always has. And I love the fact that he did the thing with the lottery, with, with, with calling out the numbers, yeah. because that was the way he learned how to, how to be in the moment and be funny and let his personality come through. And that was sort of his foray into television. And what a smart move. A lot of people would have turned that gig down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he did it. He made it his own. And that's the thing about Tom. He makes everything his own. You know, yeah. he hosted the Hollywood Squares. And what I didn't say before in his introduction, nominated for five Emmy Awards, wow. one, two, a daytime and a, and a nighttime Emmy. Wow. Um, he's just uh, he's just a great guy. I, I, I love him to death, and um, it was a great, great evening for me. And I look forward to next week. So everybody, please come back Tuesdays at 6 Pacific Time, 9 Eastern Time for The Road Taken. And and you can find me at everything on the Facebook, <laughs> on the Twitter, on the Google Plus, my website, Vicki Abelson. That's all you need to know, V-I-C-K-I-A-B-A. I can't even spell my name, Justin. <laughs> B-I-C-K-I-A-B-E-L-S-O-N. Not Abelson, Vicki Abelson. And you can find me and come find me. And then I'll lead you to Justin. See you next week.